Hey everyone, welcome back to Illuminate, a podcast series from Hope Fellowship Church where we share stories to inspire growth and encourage engagement in our community. I'm Hannah Bowen, the Worship Arts Coordinator here at Hope, and I'm co-hosted by Nathan Beer, who's our College and Connections Group Pastor. And together we've been having this incredible conversation with Chris Kilgore, a good friend of ours, a local pastor, just an all-around very wise and intelligent man of God who has been gracious enough to share his thoughts and insights on some really tricky conversations with us. And so... Today is the last part of this conversation that we've had with him that we've been so excited to share with you guys. And so we hope that you've gotten a lot out of this and that you enjoy the conclusion to our series with Chris on culture and faith. You reach back into 1 Samuel chapter 8. And it's the transition moment in Israel's history when, when Samuel has grown into this prophet of God, and so he speaks for God to the nation. And, and suddenly he's getting older, and the nation realizes that things are about to change and transition. And so they start to ask for a king, right? And God says, you don't need a king. I'm your king. What is fascinating to me is that the thing that actually brought on their desire for a king was not just that the nation surrounding them wanted, or they wanted to be like the nation surrounded. That was part of the motivation because they saw this example. Of leadership, but it was that Samuel's kids didn't seem fit to run the nation. I, I find it so fascinating that it is the distrust that we have in the next generation's ability to do something competent that maybe drives us to seek leadership that we can trust. When, when God still says to Samuel, I am the one leading this thing. I am, I led you all through the judges. It was a terrible time in Israel's history. Things are going wrong constantly through the book of Judges. Nothing is going right. Even the ones that are saving Israel are, are scoundrels and crooks and, and cowards. But, but God says, I'm, I've still got this. I'm still running this show. It's going to be okay. And the people continue to push and continue to push. And I think the, the church is going to have to come to grips with the fact that, for one thing, the generation coming, God is not caught off guard by. They are able to lead if he is allowed to lead. And, and so we won't find any leader who will be able to lead us if we don't allow him to be the supreme and sovereign leader of us. So our, our distrust in the next generation of leaders is not going to, it's not going away, but I think that's rooted in the fact that we don't really want God to lead us. We want to have the kind of leadership that we see somebody else. We want a military leader. That's what Israel wanted. Right. They, what they wanted was a king who was going to amass an army. Because when they're told he's going to take your best sons, he's going to take your daughters, he's going to take the, he's going to tax you and take your horses and your cows, they said, fine, bring him on. We don't mind that. We want that. So you've got a king in Israel present, basically, up until Jesus ascends. But now, for the last 1,900, 2,000 years, we have been in a situation where the church has had, the, the people of God have had no king. And, and, and we're still wrestling in the same way that they were wrestling in 1 Samuel 8 because we want a king. And so we keep asking people to go to Washington, here in America anyway, we keep asking people to go to Washington. You know, in, a thousand years ago, they were asking the Pope to be this. And then and then Charlemagne is coronated. And so the church and the state are are, are bent together in, in this kind of twisted way. And, and we've been wanting it and wanting it. And I, I, God has not given us the same kind of leadership, and even though we've been crying out for it. I think all along he's saying, you can trust me to lead you. And you can trust me to bring about a generation that can lead you. The leader who sits in that chair is not nearly as important as the one who sits in our heart. Yeah. And if we can trust the one that sits in our heart, on the throne of our heart, if we really allowed him to be there, th then the one that's in the chair is, 
Right. He's an underling. Right. I mean, really, at some point, Trump, Biden, they're all at some point underneath the sovereign lordship of Christ. And so I, I was having this conversation with somebody a couple of days, a few days ago, and, and I said, you know, I do believe if, if certain people over the next several election cycles are elected and, and if the nation goes in a certain direction, then, then we, there probably will be more, more persecution on the church. Now, I don't know, are we going to be shot in the street? Maybe, maybe not. But, but nonetheless, it might get more difficult for us to have what we, what we, have, what, what we have had. So it will be more uncomfortable. Um, but at some point I said, you know, but doesn't that always equal revival? Like doesn't and, and but but I think to their credit they pushed back and said, "Yeah, I, I get that, but but we have skin in this game. We have kids and grandkids in this game, and we don't want them to experience things that are so harsh. Like we love them enough to desire good for them. And so I think from that other side there is this idea that man, if if, if the if the right quote unquote president can make it easier over the next four years and make it less painful, then, then you know that that's where some people are arguing from." And, and I get that. There's a practical side to it. It's not all philosophical. It's not all spiritual. There's a practical side to it. And so I don't want to just throw that out the window and say, no, it doesn't matter. You know, God's going to send the next Nero and we're all going to have good church services. No, it doesn't work like that. He set people on fire and lined the streets with them. So nobody wants that. So I do think there's some pushback there. I think there's a, a balance where you can read scripture and uh, pray about what you can do to address a specific issue. Let's take abortion. And I've known Christians who have come to two different conclusions reading the same scripture on how to address abortion. Um, you, you come to a conclusion, uh, you take political action with your vote to address that, and, and that's how you approach it, but you don't put your ultimate hope in the outcome you know, you move for something, but you also do it with the understanding that if it doesn't go the way that you're pushing for, um, that God is still in control. Like, I think it's just a, a balance. Right. Issue. I've heard another one with uh, with calls for racial reconciliation and everything. And, and as we've had many conversations as a church, as a church body, talking about uh, the balance of, yes, the educational system could be so much better. Yes, some things could be done about redlining that happened that definitely need to be changed. Yes, there are those legislative things that need to happen, but our hope cannot ultimately be placed in those things. It still has to be placed in Christ. Our hope cannot be that if we fix those things, racism is gone. Racism is a sin. So the only way that sin is destroyed is by having Christ come through and destroy it and and redeem it. And, and so for Christ to come into someone's life. And so um, it, it's those balances of life and the balances of wanting protection over grandchildren while also wanting what Christ wants. Mm-hmm. And there's that balance. Uh, and we talked about this a, a decent bit ago, maybe in a previous podcast episode, just the body of Christ and the unity that that provides. And I started, and, and it's coming back to this idea for me of, of, of like priorities of people in our life. Cause it's all about relation. Like it, we can continually come back to relationships. And so for me, it's who, what people do we prioritize in life? Because on one hand we have literal blood DNA brothers and si- or sisters, a mom and a dad, future children, future grandchildren. But on the other hand, we have this commonality of people through the blood of Christ and it's on one hand, we have a, a blood brother. On the other hand, we have a blood of Christ that makes us brothers. Mm-hmm. 
and, and for me, it's that balance and, and who do I prioritize? Scripture lines that up for us, I, I, I believe. Like, you know, our family is extremely important to us. Your, your wives or your husbands, the, those are priorities mm-hmm. in your life. But then where does that balance play in in the future when my life, not saying it's going to get to this, but let's say it gets to the point where you could get shot in the street. What's the balance of still uh, of being cautious in what I preach and teach because I could get shot and I'm not there for my wife and future kids and future mm-hmm. grandkids, but then also I have a calling for from the blood of Christ mm-hmm. to go out and proclaim that without fear. And for me, I, I mean, I see uh, Stephen. Uh, I don't was Stephen married in the Bible. I don't know that it says. I don't. I don't know if it says. People like was, people yeah. like that though that had little to no, seemingly little to no fear. They had fear, but they had fear of God. And, and he mm-hmm. goes out there and he's just willing to get. Yeah, I'm going to keep teaching as you burn me, yeah. as you stone right. me. Right. I'm going yeah. to keep teaching yeah. because I don't care because I have this calling so deeply rooted in my heart that I know that this is the ultimate hope that I have to proclaim to people. Yeah. And it's for me in a modern day where I'm not under that same persecution. Uh, or for people in a different country who are under that persecution. Mm-hmm. For me, I always struggle with those balances. I don't necessarily struggle with those balances of I, I want better education for yeah. kids. I want redlining the effects of it to, to go away. I want legislation to happen before those things. Uh, but at the same time, I can balance that with my hope still in Christ. Mm-hmm. And if hearts aren't being changed, legislation isn't going to make a difference, point blank. Yeah. But with this idea of family... Um, and the prioritizing of that. Did I make that clear enough so that that could be answered? I just, I didn't know. Yeah. Like, uh, the, the biblical example that popped into my head was Abraham, like mm-hmm. being willing to sacrifice wow. his son mm-hmm. literally for God because he knew God knew best. Yeah. Like the, the most extreme example <laughs> of mm-hmm. that. And, and knowing that you are not only trusting God with your life, but you're trusting God with the the lives of your family, knowing that if you were to put your life in danger and, and lay your life down, that God would take care of Cassie, like that Cassie is in God's hands, not yours. I think that story of Abraham, I want to make sure I'd say the right chapter, because, because I'm just nitpicky like that. It's 22. Um, the first time in the Bible that the word worship appears is in that chapter. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's the first time that worship appears. And, and so you know, worship is not a slow song and worship <laughs> is not this moment in my car when Bethel plays. Like worship is that moment when I've placed so much value on what God has asked me to be and do that I say everything else. You know, Paul said that in Philippians 3, didn't he? Like, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. I was zealous. I persecuted the church. I did everything right, and I consider every single thing in my life to be refuse compared to the high calling of Christ in my life. And so I forsake those things that are behind me, and I pursue those things that are in front of me. Like that idea that I have placed so much value on who God is in my life that everything else just naturally is going to fall in line behind it. Hebrews 11, I think, says that Abraham believed that if he had put Isaac to death, that God would have raised him from the dead. So he's not giving up his son. He's obeying God. Like there's, it's not a dichotomy. It's both and. And yeah, it would have been an incredibly painful and traumatic moment had he had to plunge the knife into his boy's chest. But he knew who he had placed his trust in originally. And I think it's important to realize that there's 10 chapters of faith steps that Abraham made before he ever got to Genesis 22. God never asks us to do something that he has not prepared us for in the years leading up to that moment. He is faithful to those moments. And so um, I, I do think that if it comes down to it and the church has to be, has to uh, 
in, in America has to embrace a moment that is more difficult than it is now, I don't believe that God will ask us to do that without bringing us through those moments that have allowed us to trust him for the bigger moment. I don't think God asks us to jump off of cliffs. I think he asks us to take steps and, and those and one step at a time, at a time, at a time, at a time, which is what Abraham did. And so, yeah, I, I do think that there's, there's a legitimate concern, but I also believe, I, I mean, and maybe it's just, some of the reading, you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and some of the stories from the early church, I, I, you, you see them and, and, and you get the sense that, man, I hate this and I don't want this to happen. But also, you know, all along, I think God was leading me here. I think this is not something that I was unprepared for when I got here. I was going to be all right. You know, Peter, you know, Peter is crucified upside down. Like all of those, those stories of, of the, the disciples and the saints saying, he, he didn't ask me. Like, he didn't ask me to drop my nets and go get crucified. He walked with me for three years personally, and then he sent his Holy Spirit and allowed me to become exactly what I was supposed to become. And then eventually, after years and years of his faithfulness, suddenly he asked me to do something that doesn't feel like it's all that much. It just feels like the next step. I think the faithfulness of God to the people that he loves is that he never sets us up to fail him. He always sets us up to succeed for him. And if we're in a place where we think we're going to fail him, maybe we're stepping faster than he has asked us to step. Which goes back to that trust thing. What goes back to rest. It goes back to not filling our lives up with so many other things. It just is, what do you, what do you have for me in the next 24 hours? That's all I want to accomplish. Because I know in five years, there's going to be a whole lot more that I'm going to need to be able to trust you for. So I, I do think that, that that has a lot to do with how we interact with the potential for a more challenging culture, society, and world. everyone just want to take a pause to let you know about another podcast you can check out if you've enjoyed this medium for getting information or if you want to dive a little deeper into the topic we've been covering over the past couple of weeks and my recommendation for you would be the first 15 devotional podcast some of you might be familiar with first 15 uh, especially in their app form i used it for a while and if you're looking for a good devotional app i'm gonna go ahead and plug that too it's very encouraging very helpful but first 15 has a podcast uh, from craig dennison and their brief episodes all very encouraging to the point um, but recently they've started doing some long-form interviews on Christian living in politics. And so I want to give a shout out to the first on their series in politics with author and speaker John Mark Comer, who some of you may know is one of my favorite authors. So it's from September 30th. Again, that's first 15 conversations um, with John Mark Comer uh, from the first 15 devotional podcast. Would highly recommend checking that out. I think because we've we've gone through so many different things um, and at the end of the day, what does this all boil down to? What is our biggest takeaway as the church for what our next step needs to be or what our heart analysis mm -hmm. needs to be? One of the things that I've thought for several years and, and I think where the community of Christ has to be distinctive is... We, we literally do not take sides. It, it is not our job to take sides. And so well, there's, there's a formational story for me that has been very, um, for several years now, in, in the book of Joshua. So many people know it. It's not a new story. It's not like it's buried deep in the Old Testament. But 
um, Joshua comes across to scout Jericho. So he's the general of Israel. He comes across to scout Jericho, trying to figure out a way to defeat this city because this is the next milestone in Israel's, you know, uh, destiny, essentially, essentially. And, and so he's, he's standing there and then there, there's this figure that walks up on him, right? And, and, and he looks at him and he's ready to fight. Like it, Joshua is ready to go to, go to battle right then. I can imagine him with his hand on the butt of his sword, looking at this guy and the guy comes up close enough to him that he can have this conversation. And, and, and Joshua says, are you for us or against us? And, and that figure says, that's not the right question. He, he says, it, I'm not here to take sides. I own the ground that you and your enemies are standing on right now. Everything that has given your life foundation, I possess it. And, and, and he says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Like, this isn't about whether I'm going to fight for you or fight for them. This is about whether you're going to follow me. And, and I think he, and what that, what that did, and so the whole ministry of Jesus to me, in, in one sense, is defined by that conversation with Joshua because Jesus always becomes a third option in an argument with two sides. And, and so he says, I'm not here to tell the Pharisees that their way is right and, your, and, and the Romans' way is wrong. I'm not here to tell the Zealots that their way is right and the Sadducees are wrong. I'm not here to tell any of you that your way is right. Obviously, both sides are wrong. That's why I'm here. Because God sent me to create a third option. That When he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, what he's saying is, is that this kind of way didn't exist before. I'm a different way. I'm a different, he says, I'm the door. You know, I, I am a different door than you've had access to up until this point. I am a third option. And, and so the community of faith, the community of, of the church and, 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 and the community that is centered around Christ, developed and, and, and built by the Holy Spirit, has to be a third option in the world. So that means we, we are not Republicans and Democrats. No matter how we vote, we are kingdom people. And, and I think when we own that identity, it changes the way that we interact with the world. Because we don't get angry anymore. Well, we don't, we don't like the taxation policies of, of the Democrats. Okay. Okay. We don't like the special favors that, that corporations get the Republicans want to fight for. Okay. I don't care. Like, because my conversation does not begin and end with the policies of those two parties. My conversations begin and end with what, where is that place in the middle where people actually matter more than policies matter? And where, where, where like we've talked about a lot, relationships matter m more than just a voting block. Like, wh where, where is that third option? If the church can adopt this moment where we stop saying, I've got to be one or the other, and we start saying, I'm going to be something completely different in all situations. Like, I, I think at some point we're supposed to agitate the world and say, you know, we are not going to cow down to you or you. We're going to offer you another transcendent uh, Christ-like option, which actually leads to salvation. Like not just salvation eternally, but salvation in this moment, because no longer am I going to be stressed and concerned and anxious over who gets elected and who doesn't get elected because I found a different doorway to walk through. And I don't have to walk through a Republican doorway or a Democrat doorway or a Libertarian doorway. I, I can walk through the doorway that is Christ and find my identity and find my security and find my assurance and find my hope in all of that. And so, so come what may, that's the doorway that I'm going to walk through. And that's the one I'm going to invite people to walk through as well. So, 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 yeah, vote your conscience and go to the polls, and that's a civic duty, and that's something we should all do. And if you want to refrain, then refrain. That's fine, too, I suppose. But, but, but don't ever believe that one of those two options are the only options, because it's not about who is for or against us. 
It's about who we're going to align our life with. And, and, and that, that's what God has provided in that invitation to the gospel, I think. So uh, I think if, if I can say anything, just to summarize my political beliefs, it's that neither side is good enough. Yeah. They, and they never will be. They never will be. I mean, at their best expression, they never have been, and they never will be from this point forward. And so at some point, my hope has to be in something higher than that. And my daily life has to actually be lived out in, in light of that hope. It's not just something I, ha- I can ascribe to politically. It has to be something I ascribe to practically. And, um, and, and so I think that changes things for the world. That, that would be my summation. So yeah. could have saved us a lot of time and energy. <laughs> I just this would have been a five-minute podcast yeah. instead <laughs> of a four-part going on all things. No. Um, so at the end of every podcast, we like to ask uh, for our listeners and for our own personal um, edification. Sure. Uh, uh, and for our own shelves, yes, uh, <laughs> as if I don't have enough books that I have not read that I want to read. Um, a book recommendation that has shaped your life besides the Bible. Um, obviously, the Bible is the most dominant yeah. uh, document in our life, that, that, you know, but a book that you would recommend, um, it can be on this topic that we've just talked about. It can just be one that has shaped your life and has impacted your life in a big way. Okay. I know one of them I know I, I would probably offer a couple of. There's a book that I, I still go back to it. Um, and, and again, a lot of people have read it. It's not a new book. It came out in the late 90s, I think. But it's, it's a book by Philip Yancey called What's So, What's so Amazing About Grace. It, it's, it's the best Christian book I've ever read. I mean, I, I, again, outside of the scriptures, it is the best. And, and it, it, it had such a transformational power in my life. It, it changed the way I saw salvation. It, 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 and it, again, it, it's not like it refutes or rejects or... or Altered what the Bible says. It, it illuminates it. And, and so it was very powerful to me. And I, I've, I've probably read it 12, 13 times. Like it's, it's just a book that I can come back to. When I've searched it for illustrations and, and quotes and stuff, I'll find myself just reading 20, 30, 40 pages and, and using up a ton of time that I needed to be doing something else. Like it's, it's that magnetic to me. And so I, w- I would recommend that for any human being on earth. I mean, I think it's, it's just powerful enough to be something that is, that is going to change if not your entire life, it'll change your perspective. And uh, so What's Always About Grace by Philip Yancey is one. Um, the, the Cross of, of Christ by John Stott, that's a lengthy volume, but um, it, it is powerful and, and deals with so many aspects of what the cross accomplished, what the cross meant, how it culturally affected the early church, all, all those kind of things. And, and just a powerful, powerful book um, that... And again, I, I believe the cross is central to the Christian faith. I think we can't get away from it. If we get away from it, we get away from the only thing that makes us truly unique and powerful. So, um, the, you know, the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus, and, and Jesus is elevated and draws all men to himself. The cross is the elevation point. So, um, but uh, that that would be probably the second one. Again, that that's more theological. It's it's a little more dense. What's so amazing about grace is a very accessible volume. So, I mean, almost anybody could read it, whether you have theological training or not. It's it's very illustration, very story-based. So, um, Yancey's a phenomenal writer. But so is Stott, uh, just more theologically driven. So, I would say, that, I mean, again, there's there's scores of books if I really thought about it. But those two um, certainly stand out at this moment. Awesome. Do you want to add anything? Or? I, yeah, I just want to say one thank you for your perspective. It is uh, valued and worth a lot. Um, I, I know to my heart and to, and to, to Hannah, Hannah's probably, she's shaking her head Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Um, and I know to a lot of people's, um, not to add pressure, but just to, to uh, God has given you such a gift. Um, and for me, that's a gift that I look up to. It's a gift that I strive uh, to to fine tune in, in, in all those areas. And um, your uh, perspective on scripture and how that 
penetrates your heart is evident. So, um, yeah, we usually like to take this time to honor you uh, and just say a thank you for everything that you're doing, for how you're leading your church. Um, we're praying for you through all of this craziness of, of it feels like not everyone's making, you can never make a right decision and everything is, uh, I don't know, uh, vanity of vanity, all this, all this vanity. Um, and so, uh, but, you know, you are making a huge difference. Um, I know in my own life, uh, just the sermons that I've heard and even this conversation. Um, so we just thank you for coming on today and um, thank you for listening um, and joining us for this, uh, this podcast. Yeah, we really do appreciate you guys joining us for these conversations week after week. It means a lot to us. And if you have any ideas for future podcasts on topics you might like to hear, or maybe you have a story, an area of passion that you just love to share with others that we could help illuminate or elevate your voice on, uh, we would love to do that. You can email us Nathan at Hope and Anderson or myself Hannah at Hope and Anderson and we'll see you guys next week.